reading today is from Genesis 35, starting at verse 1 and going through the whole chapter. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings that will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering and he also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way over on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, 
And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Edah. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's servant, Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Leah's servant, Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived a hundred and eighty years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott, I'm the student minister. And here we are, final look at the life of Jacob in Genesis 35. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for the many things that you've taught us as we've looked at uh, Jacob's uh, story in these chapters. And we thank you as that story uh, wraps up Father, we thank you that you speak to us again of your unending grace, of your faithfulness to your promises, uh, despite uh, the ups and downs of, of Jacob and his family. And so we pray that that would thrill our hearts this morning, that we would, we would know more of your grace and would praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I say, today is the last little look uh, that we'll be having for now at the life of Jacob. Uh, Jacob, this schemer, uh, what a mixed bag he's been over these chapters. And in the last few, he's beginning to learn to trust in God's promises. That's had a big, big impact on the way that he's lived. Um, he's been reconciled to his brother Esau. Saw that last week. He's back in the promised land. And yet, chapter 34, which we haven't, had, um, we haven't had a close look at, but chapter 34 was an unmitigated disaster. And Jacob had failed to obey God, so that instead of going to Bethel, where God had told him to go, he went to Shechem and settles there. And that has terrible consequences for Jacob and his family. And his daughter, Dinah, is raped by the ruler's son. Jacob does nothing but his, uh, Jacob's sons take it in their own hands and use their family trait of deception to trick the men of the city and slaughter them and loot uh, the whole city. What a mess um, this family are. After so much promise, so many glimmers of hope, after all the promises that God has made them, here they are failing yet again. 
And so we're left thinking maybe now is the time for God to get rid of this dysfunctional family, to start again with a new chosen family. But God doesn't give up on them as we see in this chapter. Once again, God is extraordinarily gracious to them, despite their failings and their sin, despite their flitting between obedience and horrific disobedience. God keeps going with them. He never lets them go. And so if Jacob's life teaches us one thing, it is that God's grace is relentless. He keeps pouring out his blessings, even when his people don't deserve it. Um, If you're familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, and maybe read it to kids, um, it, it has a great way of describing God's grace. It says it's this, it is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's what we've seen again and again in these chapters of Genesis, and that's what we'll see again this morning. And you and I need that grace just as much as Jacob and his family. And we are so up and down, aren't we? And one minute, uh, it can feel like we are trusting in God's promises. Maybe we're making decisions with Christ right at the center. We're boldly uh, speaking of him to others. And then the next minute, we're afraid, and we're half-hearted, and we're falling into sin. And that is what makes grace so wonderful. Because God's favor towards us doesn't depend on us. It isn't deserved, it isn't earned. That is why it's grace. God never gives up on his people. So as we finish this series um, in Jacob's life, we'll see three things, three things about God's grace, and then we'll draw some conclusions uh, for our own lives. We'll see firstly that God's grace is extended to Jacob and his family yet again in verses one to eight. Secondly, that God's grace abundantly blesses Jacob and his family, nine to 20. And thirdly, that God's grace continues despite the family's sin. Let's look firstly then at God's grace being extended to Jacob and his family yet again. Look again at verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. See, right from the off, this chapter is about God's grace. After all of Jacob's failures, God speaks to him again. He gives him another opportunity to go up to Bethel and settle there. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all those who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak in Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. See, Jacob gets that this is extraordinary grace that God is offering, another chance. And so he gathers his whole family and tells them to get rid of their foreign gods, to purify themselves, to change their clothes as they prepare to go. It's a little bit like if if you received an invitation 
uh, to Buckingham Palace, uh, you and your family, what would you do? You'd get everyone ready. Uh, you'd make sure everyone had a shower. You'd buy new clothes. Uh, you'd put on your Sunday best. You'd buy a new hat uh, or whatever the male equivalent is, I don't know, cufflinks or something. You'd make sure uh, you were ready. But what, what's going on here is, is not just about the family looking presentable. Um, it is about them becoming what God has called them to be, his chosen people. See, they must learn to trust in the God who has been with them this far, not in the little trinkets, not in the foreign gods that they've picked up on their travels. And so they give their false gods to Jacob and bury them in a hole in the ground. A, a, a sort of sign that together, not just Jacob, but together the whole family is going to trust in God's promises. We see God's grace uh, towards them again as he keeps them safe. And they've just slaughtered a whole city. Uh, you'd think the locals would, uh, would, would get angry. Uh, they, they outnumber Jacob's family. And yet God keeps them safe as they head up to Bethel. And so there they go, off to Bethel at last for Jacob to fulfill his vow that he had made. And that is good. The family is finally where they're supposed to be. They've committed themselves to trusting in the Lord, not in foreign gods. And that all flows because God has been gracious to them once again, extending grace, giving them an opportunity to trust him. But even in the midst of that, death is still a reality for this family. And just as each place, we'll see it dotted through the chapter, each place they go is marked by a death. Verse 8, now Deborah... Rebecca's nurse died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alan Bakuth. See, death is a rally for this family as much as it is for any other. And yet God's grace continues to bless them. Secondly, then, God's grace abundantly blesses Jacob and his family from verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. See, once again, it's God's grace, isn't it? It's God taking the initiative, reaching out to bless Jacob. The first thing that God does is change Jacob's name to Israel. From Jacob he deceives to Israel he struggles with God. You might be getting a little bit of deja vu. Hasn't that happened already? Hasn't God already changed his name? Has he sort of forgotten? Uh, he's forgotten that he did it a couple of chapters ago. Well, no, he hasn't. But the strange thing is that ever since God changed Jacob to Israel, Jacob has still been referred to in the story as Jacob and Israel. The two are sort of used interchangeably. It seems, it's a little bit like um, when a teenager... Uh, decides they no, they no longer want to be called by the name uh, that they were given. So maybe their parents called them Alexander, and they've always been Alexander. But now, I don't know, age, what age is it? Usually about 14. They don't want to be called Alexander, they want to be called X. <laughs> Just X. So their friends probably, you know, pick that up pretty quickly. Um, maybe even some of their teachers. But their parents, their parents will always call them Alexander. That's just what they're used to. Now, it's a little bit like that. People don't seem to have got that Jacob is now Israel. Every other Old Testament character who gets a name change 
uh, gets to stick to their new name. So Abraham becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, but Jacob is Jacob and Israel. It seems that Jacob's old reputation as the schemer, the deceiver, is pretty hard to shake. So the two names are used interchangeably. The old Jacob just keeps coming out. But here, God is reminding Jacob of who he really is, how God sees him. You're not Jacob, you are Israel. And God blesses Jacob, Israel, with this extraordinary blessing, verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a pillar, a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. See, God blesses Jacob again using the language of the covenant blessings to Abraham and to Isaac. God promises to bless him with a nation and descendants and a land. But there are a couple of, we get a couple of additional things here that we haven't seen before. Not just a nation, but a community of nations. Not just a people, but kings. There are huge promises, especially when you look at a family that they are given to. God is going to bring about the most amazing gathering of people led by great kings through this unimpressive bunch of sinners. But isn't that what God is still doing uh, today? If you look at the church, I know we haven't met together for a while, so you might have forgotten, but the church is a community of nations. Um, unimpressive, flawed, broken, sinful, and yet extraordinary, brought together uh, under a great servant king. That is what the church is, and it's promised right here in Genesis 35 to Jacob. Extraordinary blessings that God pours out on his people. And Jacob responds once again rightly, to God's extraordinary grace to him. He sets up this pillar and offers sacrifices. But let's be clear, it isn't because of Jacob's obedience that God blesses him. He hasn't earned God's favor. If you ask Jacob at the end of his life, why was God so gracious to you time and time again? Well, there would be no room for pride in Jacob's answer, would there? It is all God's doing. God is blessing this family abundantly. And yet, once again, death still looms over it. Verse 16. Then they moved on from Bethel. While there was still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. See, Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, the one who had cried out, give me a son or I'll die, 
dies giving birth to Benjamin. And it is tragic. Death is still a reality for God's chosen family. Jacob, at, at least, um, gives his son a name that will be a blessing, not a curse. Jacob calls him son of my right hand, Benjamin, not son of my trouble, as Rachel had named him as she was dying. See, Jacob, of, of all people, gets that names really matter. And so he blesses his son with the name Benjamin. Death is a rally, but, but the family do seem to be getting it. Just as you think they're maybe making progress, then, uh, then we hit another bump in the road. Thirdly, God's grace continues despite the family's sin. Look down at verse 21. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Edar. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. What a mess. What a mess. Reuben, the eldest son, sleeps with his father's concubine, the mother of two of his brothers. It is, it is morally wrong. It is relationally damaging. And he's, he's trying to usurp his father. He's trying to take his father's place as head of the household. And it is like something out of an episode of EastEnders. And you just think, you cannot trust this family I mean, it seems like it's one step forward and two steps back. What a disaster. But even then, even then, God responds with yet more grace. What comes next is not a rebuke, uh, not, a, uh, not a wiping them out, not a, not a starting afresh, but a list of the 12 sons of Jacob. And they are a mixed bunch, absolutely. I mean, just look at the eldest three. Between them, there are two mass murderers and an adulterer. But even so, um, there are quite a lot of them. There are 12 of them. God is fulfilling his promise of a, a huge family, a great nation. The 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundations of the nation lay right here. God's work is unstoppable. Even when this chosen family is so dysfunctional. And yet, once again, death is not far away. Verse 27, Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So here they are, this strange, unremarkable sinful, dysfunctional family that may live under the shadow of death. And yet they have a God who is always faithful to his promises, whose grace has not and will not let them go. God is working out his plans and purposes despite their ongoing feelings. Here they are in the promised land with a growing family being abundantly blessed by God. God has not given up on them. And that relentless grace to Jacob and his family time and time again is the same grace that is extended to us in the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can be sure of God's grace to you. 
not because of what you have done, but because of Jesus, because you belong to him. See, Jesus is the true Israel who receives God's eternal favor and ensures God's blessing to all his people. Jesus is the true Israel, the one who will gather the community of nations, the church. He is the true Israel who always obeyed his father. Jesus is the true Israel who faces up to death and defeats death in order to offer hope to all those who live under the shadow of death. See, the Christian's life is only ever a work of God's grace. God's work of salvation always begins with his initiative, his grace. And if you're looking in at Christian things this morning, you've got to get that. It's not about climbing up to God. It is about God coming down to us. We were his enemies. We were far from him, and yet he brought us back, an act of pure grace. That's true at the beginning of the Christian life. It is equally true of God's ongoing work in the life of a Christian. His work of making us more like Jesus, of keeping us going through the ups and downs, that is a work of his grace too. See, our ability to live as God wants us to live will go up and down daily, almost hourly. But God's grace is constant. He will always be faithful to his promises. Why does that matter so much? Two things. Firstly, it stops you from becoming proud and when it feels like life is going well, when it feels like you're doing well. God calls us to respond to his promises. And obedience is part of the Christian life. And yet, your obedience is never a reason to pat yourself on the back and to feel like you somehow earned God's favor. Obedience is only ever evidence of his grace at work in us. And so if you see his grace at work in you, then praise him, because it is his work. It stops you from becoming pride. It also stops you from despairing when it feels like you're not doing well, when it feels like life is going the wrong direction. When you're very aware of your sin, God's grace is all the more wonderful, isn't it? If God didn't give up on this family, then he won't give up on you. So stop trusting in your own efforts. Stop trusting in those little false gods, whatever they are, and trust in the one who is always gracious, who is always faithful to his promises. And that is a thing worth celebrating, isn't it? That God does not give up on us. That his favor, do, favor does not depend on our performance. That he is kind to you, not because you deserve it or have earned it, but because he is gracious. He is gracious to this family, to Jacob and the ragtag bunch of Israelites, and yet he was gracious, he was faithful, and he will remain faithful to his promises to you and me in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for your grace, for your undeserved kindness to us, 
Father, we are so up and down. We are so aware of that. Maybe particularly at the minute when the days just drag on and, and, and we feel like we're not really making progress in the Christian life. And yet we praise you for your grace that never lets go of us, that does not give up on us, that will keep us going to the end. We praise you for Jesus who secures that blessing for us. And we ask that we would trust in him and praise him. In his name we pray. Amen.